Sermon, uh, Exodus chapter 16, and we were there last week as well, and I gave an introduction to the chapter, and then, um, but we didn't get far enough, so we're going to take two weeks on Exodus 16. Um, for those of you who are newer, um, what's taken place in Exodus, of course, is, well, we have the beginning with the plagues and all the rest, and what we're in now is the wilderness wanderings. Um, Exodus 14, you have the parting of the Red Sea, and then the Egyptian army destroyed. Chapter 15 is the Song of Moses, where they do this great praise, uh, hymn of praise to God. And they express their faith in him. And then in chapter 15, they go out into the wilderness, and immediately the problems begin. They don't have any water. And so they cry out to the Lord for water. In fact, they grumble. They don't even cry out to the Lord. They just grumble to Moses about the water. And God provides water. And then in chapter 16, they um, run out of food. And last week, what we mentioned was this. They ran out of food. But they run out of food 30 days into their journey. That means they were well prepared for their journey. You, you don't go on a trip for 30 days and have food for 30 days without having done a lot of preparation ahead of time. Why 30 days? Because that's about what it would take to walk to the promised land. But God has led them into a place where they have no food. And they're following God and they run out of food. Happens to us too. <laughs> God is going to take you into places where you are totally and completely dependent upon and it may not be food, it might be financial, it might be in relationships, it might be in a work situation, it might be who knows where, where we say, God, I thought I was following you. And now things are happening that are totally out of my control, and God drives us to absolute dependence on him, which is the, the point of that. Their response was to grumble, and we talked about that last week as well. They grumble against God, and they begin saying some amazing things. They say to God, well, why didn't you just let us die in Egypt? Why didn't you kill us in Egypt? In other words, by the plagues. Why weren't we just a part of that? Um, why did you bring us out in the wilderness to die? We could have eaten, we could have been happy back in Egypt, sitting by pots of meat. And, and you get this picture of them just sitting around all day doing nothing but eating, which we know wasn't true. So the perspective is warped. Um, and, and that happens to us, too, when we take our eyes off of the solution to the problem and put it on the problem. When we take our eyes off of, off of God and put it on the problem that faces us, our whole perspective is going to get warped. And their perspective is warped, and then we begin to grumble. What happened was they didn't trust their God. But the interesting thing is that they didn't know their God yet. They really don't know who God is. Um, they know he's a mighty warrior. They know he can do miracles. But they don't know about his faithfulness yet. They don't know that they can trust him. They don't know that he loves them. And we would say, well, of course, he's God. He would, but that's not the gods that they would have known in that culture. Those would not have been the gods that they were familiar with. So um, that's what we talked about last week. What we didn't talk about was the actual lessons from them. So um, let's, let's go ahead and start in verse 4. Uh, actually, I hate to, to read the whole passage again. 
but um, well, we'll tell the story. How about that? And you can look at the passage. We read it last week. It's pretty long. Um, God tells Moses, "We're going to send uh, bread. It's going to come from heaven. Um, I'm going to feed you quail and manna." And but we're going to focus today on manna. Okay, so he gives them quail and manna. Um, the manna comes when? In the morning. With the dew. And then when the dew melts off, what happens to the manna? It melts as well. Okay? So that's your manna. Uh, what is manna like? Basically a flat piece of bread. Well, actually, yeah, it was little flakes. That's one way it's described. And then in... Um, in verse, well, let's go to verse 31. Now, the house of Israel called its name manna. Oh, why did they call it manna? Because when they walked out and they saw it, they said, what is it? And that's what manna sounds like in, in Hebrew. So really what they said every time they saw it is, what is it? What is this stuff that's on the ground? Why? Because bread doesn't fall from heaven. Um, this is weird stuff here. Now, on the now the house was verse thirty-one. The house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed. Doesn't help me a bit. What's a coriander seed? It's a little spice. It's about the size of a sesame seed. Okay, so it's a little sesame seeds, uh, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Yeah. Graham crackers, right? I mean, this is this is a little tiny thing that falls, and apparently it's on the ground and it's on the plants, and then they have to go out and harvest every morning. Seems tedious to me. I don't know how you keep the dirt out of it. The rabbis actually said that when you scooped it up, that the dirt miraculously didn't come up with it. But somehow they were able to, to use that. Um, and then... We know that it came every day, and if you tried to keep it till the next morning, what happened? It got worms and it stank. Until the seventh day, which you weren't then supposed to go and harvest any of it, and then it lasted for two days, right? And it didn't fall on the Okay, so that's what we understand about manna. The quail, um, apparently quail is a very common bird there, and it actually migrates, and quail aren't strong flyers, so they fly for a long time, and then they, they pretty much drop out of the sky. I mean, I, they probably land, but they kind of land like, landing like we're not going anywhere. So there's actually pictures in Egypt because they would pass through Egypt where you just throw nets over these birds that are sitting on the ground. So pretty easy to catch. So God provides quail, but he also then provides manna. And the manna comes every day for how long? Yeah, but for 40 years, right? Until they enter the promised land. How many people? Two million. Two million. Yeah. Well, not the birds. The birds don't come every evening. Uh, that that was only every once in a while, but the manna was there all the time. So, yes, the birds were a special treat. Yeah. Eventually, you just got to have some meat. Sorry if you're vegan out there. Eventually, you just got to have some meat to eat every once in a while. <clears throat> okay, so what are the lessons? Again, those of you who worked here last week, we read through the passage. What are the lessons from that? 
for the Israelite people and then also for us because all of this is written for our instruction. I'll let you guys throw out ideas. What, what, what lesson do we learn from that? Yes. God provides. Um, so that's a good one. God provides. Um, and it is our daily bread. All right, what else? Okay, so that's taking us to the new time. We'll get there. We'll get there. So Jesus ultimately is the perfect um, manifestation of man. Because he meets all of our needs. Okay. What we what we need when we need it. What we need. Oh, when we need it. So not before. And um, really in a sense not well, I guess. He continues here to write for us. Yes, God's faithfulness. And the people of Israel needed to know that. He needed to know, they needed to know that God was faithful. They didn't know that. We know it or should know it. Um, the more we trust in God. Right? Any other lessons? I'll use that. They have to participate. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. They, they have to participate. Um, because, you know, they could have, God could have said, just set your bucket outside, right? And I'll throw a bucket. But instead, they had to get up every morning and they had to harvest that. And if you didn't, you went hungry. Okay? And what else? one of the lessons from it. So they, from this, they learn thankfulness, which is tied into God's giving and God's, uh, God's faithfulness. Okay? Okay, we got more here. Okay. Okay. So they had to learn obedience and thankfulness. Eleven, although it doesn't say it's on eleven, but I assume that it is. But all right, let's see. Rod, you have one. Uh, no matter how much you prepare for something, God can take Yeah, um, which was yeah the lesson from, from last week. Um, that God is providing because they have more of the resources. Let me, let me throw out a couple, and we, we want to talk about this in just a couple minutes, and I want to get to the New Testament. Um, this one, God provides. Um, God is the provider. Um, that idea is 
introduced in Genesis when, is, when Jake, uh, Abraham goes up onto the mountain with Isaac. Remember, Isaac says, where's the, I see the fire and I see the wood, but where's the, where's the sacrifice? And what does God say? I myself, or God himself, will provide the sacrifice. Uh, Abraham says that. God himself will provide that sacrifice. God is then known as Jehovah Jireh, the provider. Um, the, the one thing that I, I wanted to throw in here is that God has infinite resources. And he has infinite resources that we don't know anything about. God has infinite resources. We tend to limit God. You do, I do, or maybe you I do. Um, could anybody imagine feeding two million people in the middle of the desert every day for 40 years? I mean, I'm amazed at the food distribution system here in the United States. I don't know if you guys ever stop and think about that. I'm sure the farmers do. But look, we're having chicken for lunch. And every one of you can have chicken for lunch. And everybody in the United States can have chicken for lunch. How many chickens had to die? <laughs> and then be slaughtered and transported to market. And we don't even think about it. But you're in the middle of the desert. And, and there's no food anywhere. Uh, I'll get to you in a minute, Matt. You remember the story of the, um, it's in, um, Ch um, I think it's in Second Kings, where the city is besieged. Do you remember that? The city is besieged with, um, and they're starving them. The Syrians are, it's in Samaria, actually, but the city is uh, uh, besieged. They're running out of food, and pigeon dung sells for some exorbitant, and a goat's head sells for some exorbitant amount. And then you have the, the mothers who divide their children, and they eat the one child one day, and then they're going to eat them. Remember that story? And they are starving to death, is the picture. And Elijah or Elisha comes and says, tomorrow at this time, you will have a, a, a loaf of bread to sell for this. And the captain of the guard says, if God could open windows from heaven, this could not happen. And Elisha says, you'll see it, but you won't participate. And you remember the next day, the lepers go to the camp, and food is abundant. God has no problem with resources. You know what I find myself doing? What do you do it to? I, when, when there's a thorny situation, I need God's help. I try and help God figure out how to do this, how to manage his resources. So God, if you just did this, okay, look, if you just changed that person's part, if you just did this over here, if you just, you know, if you just gave me a raise, that would solve the problem. Or if you just, I've got somebody I'm praying for, if you just brought somebody into their life, maybe a co-worker, or, or something, and we have no idea the resources that God has. <laughs> he has resources beyond what we can even imagine. And, and he says, depend upon me. He provides, uh, the one thing that I think we are getting at here when we need it, he provides exactly enough. No more, no less. He provides enough for today. And that's all that's ever promised. Enough for today. It's really an interesting thing. If you look at it, then some of you really want to say something. Uh, we'll get to you in a second. Um, in verse 16, it says, This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it each one of you as much as he can. You shall eat you shall each take an omer according to the number of the persons that 
each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less, but when they measured it with an omer, and whoever gathered little had no lack, each of them gathered as much as he could eat. So it's a really weird thing. It's like gather as much as you want to, but if you measure it against an omer, you're not going to have you're, you're going to have just enough. So it's, I, I don't even know how to, I kept reading that and going to commentaries and everybody just skips over it. But it's kind of like, some people gathered a whole lot, but me- measured against an omer. Take what God tells you, it's about uh, two quarts, half a gallon. Um, measured against that, and if you take what God told you to take, you'll have no lack. So, all right, Darla and then Matt. Well, Yes, he's more creative than me. Quite a long way. I want to get a little perspective on this. Like I was recommending the events of the First Crusade, you had. Uh, at once during the beginning, you had peasant crusaders basically marching all the way towards the uh, whole towards the Ottoman Empire, or, uh, Empire. And along the way, they would wind up stopping at uh, kingdoms, uh, different uh, walled settlements, and basically they would try to ask the kings, the governors there, for food. And these peasants could number as many as forty thousand, and the task. Of feeding them was so immense that I know in at least one case, one governor had to choose between feeding these forty thousand crusaders and feeding his own people. That's the that's the Herculean task of feeding forty thousand people. Imagine what two feet of would be like. Yep, exactly. Yeah. All right, let me go. We're going to run out of time. There's an interesting lesson. I think we're getting to it here, but it's an interesting lesson that God actually tells the people. Um, And then it becomes one of the themes of Jesus. It goes back to what John said, that Jesus is the bread of life which comes down from heaven. Um, Go to Deuteronomy chapter (coughs) 8. Deuteronomy 8. Starting at verse 1. We're going to have to skip around a little bit here. Um, not because it's not all good, but I just don't have the time. Um, Deuteronomy 8, verse 1 says, The whole commandment that I command you today you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. Um, remember, Deuteronomy is the covenant renewed and talking about them going into the land, so it's a preparation for them entering the, the land of Israel. Uh, the promised land. Um, verse 2, you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. What is the lesson of manna? It's that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word of comes that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now, I, I have to confess to you, I really puzzled over this this week. Doesn't it seem like manna teaches the opposite? That all you need is bread from God? 
I mean, that's what God did. He provided bread. <clears throat> but at the same time, he's teaching them obedience, right? In the way that he does it. And he's teaching them about their faithfulness. Um, and then and, and I, I guess I've always read those verses that there's the physical and the spiritual and the spiritual spiritual I don't know why but that's how I read that man does not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God um, and, and I think if you read the rest of the context certainly the obedience to God is what God is after and the relationship with God is what God is after. And I think the real point of this is that God wants us to be absolutely dependent upon him and recognize that everything we have comes from him. And there, uh, uh, well, much of people want to comment. I'll stop in a minute. But I want to show you this because it's in the passage. Um, if you go down toward the end, uh, I'll, I'll just tell you what it says. You can read it and we'll look at the verse. He says, look, you're going to go into the and it's going to be a good land. And it's going to produce its fruit. And you're going to become rich. And then what are you going to say? My work has made me rich. Go down to um, verse 17. Beware. Uh, actually, let's go back just a little bit. Um, it's such a long verse. Uh, verse 14. Then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the manna with, with wilderness with manna, that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Now watch this. Beware, lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me with this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant he swore to you and to his fathers as it is to this day. Um, we have a tendency to, I think, allow God to provide some things, but not everything. We have a tendency to believe that there are some areas where I'm helpless, but everything else, God, I'll take care of. And, and that was the exact wrong message. What he was trying to teach them was absolutely dependent. You know, the last election cycle, remember in uh, President, I think it was last election cycle, they all blurred together. But um, uh, Obama was talking, President Obama was talking to a business owner, and he said, you didn't build that. Everybody remember that? Everybody got upset, right? Well, why did we get upset? Well, well, why did we get upset? He's implying the government. He's implying the government built it. But what you have is an interesting thing there, and I, I think both sides are kind of wrong. Right? Um, I, I know what he was saying. If there wasn't for the roads and the police and a stable government and all the rest, you'd never have been able to build that business. So therefore, give credit to the government. And the business owner is saying, no, I did this. And we should have said to the business owner, no, God gave you the power to do that. Yes, you've worked hard. You deserve credit for, for getting up and harvesting the manna. But it's really what God gave you that allowed you to do that. Both sides actually sort of miss the point. Everything is, is due to what God has given you. 
if you're a hard worker, it's because God allowed that to be fostered in you. He gave you parents who taught you to work hard. If you have intelligence that came from him, everything comes from God. Okay, now we've got comments. Uh, maybe. Yeah, I just that book, Now, let's 
don't have much time, but I do want to go to the New Testament because Jesus is going to bring up the idea of him being the daily bread or him being manna or that he is the one who feeds, he's the one who provides all through the New Testament. In fact, so is the theme of the New Testament. Um, and we don't have nearly enough time to do this, not with 10 minutes. But let me just, let me just mention a few of them, too. We won't look at those verses, because I want to get to John chapter 6. Um, Jesus um, begins his ministry. First thing he does is get baptized. Then what happens? Led into the wilderness, where he hungers, right? Uh, by the way, the parallels there are striking. Uh, Corinthians says that Israel going through the Red Sea was Israel being baptized into Moses. And then they were immediately led by the, the Spirit into the wilderness where they immediately found that they were hungry and thirsty. Uh, Jesus was there for 40 days, they're there for 40 years. Um, Jesus still passes the test. But remember what happens to his hungry when Satan comes to test him. And what does Satan say? If you are the Son of God, turn these threads, these rocks into bread. Understand he's saying, uh, provide for yourself like, like you did in the wilderness for the Israelites. And Jesus answers what he wants. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Um, there's, there's a lot of interpretations of that, but I think if you go back to that passage, he's saying God, God led me into, the Spirit led me into the wilderness, and the Spirit knew there wasn't food there, and he will provide food. I depend entirely, 100%, on my Father to do what's right for me. I know there's more to that than that, but but Jesus is placing himself completely in a dependent position on his Father. I depend, God, entirely on you. You knew perfectly well, just like you knew with the Israelites going into the wilderness, that they weren't going to have food. You knew that there would be no food here. When you want me to have food, I'll have food. There's something more important than that. And that's that I live my life completely through your power and completely through but dependent upon you. sense when it says man does not live by bread alone but by every word the word of God was that they would have manna the, the physical provision was a tiny part of what God wanted to ultimately provide and that is what happens then in the New Testament we see Jesus starting to say that to, to people a um, couple of verses one other one go to uh, Luke chapter 15 and then I, I, we're going to go a little over time, but I, we have to get to John chapter 6. But um, this is in the Sermon on the Mount. I'm just pulling out one example. I mean, you can think of the passages um, where Jesus talks about the danger of being so concerned about 
what we're going to eat and what we're going to drink and where we're going to sleep. And this is, God takes care of all that. Um, in, in Luke chapter 12, you have the parable of the rich fool. And um, basically, the um, somebody comes and asks Jesus to divide the inheritance and with them. And Jesus says, I'm not your judge. And then he says in verse 15, Take care and be on your, on your guard against all covetousness. By the way, covetousness is wanting more than, than what God is willing to provide for us. We want more than enough. We want more than that. God gives enough. We want more than that. We want what other people have. He told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barn and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Okay? So I I don't need anything else. I'm self-sufficient. I can provide for myself. I can eat, drink, and be merry. And God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and not and is not rich toward God. And then he says to his disciples, Therefore, because of what we just said, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Um, Jesus will keep hammering this message. But the place that it it is, I think, the clearest is in John chapter 6. Um, John chapter 6 is, is a fascinating chapter. It's, it's well worth some study this week if you haven't looked at it in a long time. Um, it's where Jesus feeds the 5,000, but we get more of the story than you get in the synoptic He feeds the 5,000, and immediately they come and they want to make him king by force. I really want to get the king of force. Give them bread. <laughs> give them bread. Okay? They can give them bread. So we don't have to work anymore. He can take care of all of these physical needs. And at least that's what I think. And then Jesus walks on water to get away from them. And then they all come and find him the next day. And when they come and they find him, um, they. Um, they approach him. They said, Rabbi, how did you get here? This starting in verse 26. Jesus answered them. So John 6, 26. Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the filth of the loaves. Do not labor for the bread that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his, his seal. Uh, Jesus understands the problem. They have missed the point of manna. The point of manna was that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that receives the mouth. They're looking at just the physical food. If we have physical food, we don't have to worry. We don't need to be dependent upon God. If Jesus can do that for us, we've got our needs met and we're fine. Um, and then uh, 
they said to him in verse 28, what must we be doing, or what must we do to be doing the works of God? Okay, so it's the right question, or at least a good question. Jesus answered him, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. There's the work of God. There's how we come to know uh, our Father. There's how we come to know Christ, is by believing on him. So they said to him, and I love this, <laughs> what sign do you do that we see and believe? What work do you perform? <laughs> you just took 5,000 people, no more than that. And what's their first question? Well, what else are you going to do for us? And Jesus is anticipating what they're saying. Um, in verse 31, they say, they say to him, our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. That's a quote out of it. Exodus 16 or Deuteronomy. Uh, and what does Jesus say to them? <laughs> Jesus said, they truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of heaven, bread of God, is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said, you have seen me and not, and yet do not believe. Um, they actually looked back on what had happened, and they had misinterpreted it. Who did they think was giving them bread from heaven, or giving them bread? Moses. It wasn't Moses who was giving them bread. It was God. And God was sending down bread from heaven. And what does Jesus claim for himself? I am the bread come down from heaven. I am the one who meets every need. I'm the one who you uh, will, will provide for everything that you can provide for yourself. The physical and the spiritual. And in fact, provides for every one of our needs. Um, if we put our faith and trust in him, we never thirst and we never um, and then there's more to this passage than that, but, but uh, Jesus claims that for himself. He is man. When we take communion, do you take communion today? Today's communion. Uh, we remember the body broken and the blood shed, but really that bread is man. This is the bread that comes down from heaven. Uh, Jesus offers his body for us. It's a reminder of the fact that every single thing that we need, um, we can live not by bread alone, but by every word that we receive from the God, because we have Christ who's done that for us. Um, if, if you ask, what's the application for this passage? Well, I think there's a lot of applications. But uh, I, I think if we're honest with ourselves, we're pretty worried and troubled. <laughs> about how God's going to provide. Uh, we spend a lot of time thinking about that. Um, we were kind of training. But, and by the way, Proverbs does tell us to store up. Store up. Uh, be, be like the ants, store up. It's not that there's wrong with having savings or planning or retirement planning and whatnot, but, but it almost seems like the whole goal of life anymore is to retire quickly. And yet that's not the purpose of life. The purpose of life is bigger than that. It's to know God and to place our trust in the heavens upon him. 
Um, we tend to do, I, I don't know if we're that much different than the physicists. I think we get really focused on, on what we need right now. And, and we can find ourselves being exactly the same places as, as they were, um, were and not really trusting the father's position. So, anyways, actually we're on time. I kind of speed it up, but I'm so hot. I'm about ready to melt it. Uh, like a man in the early morning. Any, any comments? I'm sure there are some. Some of you have heard me say stuff, but it's, it's a, there's a lot of lessons from Exodus 16 for us, and I think Jesus just comes back. We could have said a whole bunch of other ones as well from the New Testament where he is the one who provides. Even when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Um, in Colossians it says, when Christ, who is our life, appears, we will be like him. So stop looking at the things of earth and fix your attention on Over that, and I'm glad you know. What does it say right after that? Well, actually, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. It's interesting because Jesus puts those two together. What do we need every day? We need our daily bread and we need right relationship with God. And neither of those are provided for by ourselves. God gives us both of them through Son. So, yes. Uh, when, we, when we hear that phrase, daily bread, it should take us back to Exodus. And daily bread is what God provides for us. All right. Oh, Rod's got something. Interesting that it requires a wilderness experience in order to understand this. <laughs> yeah, it's it's hard to fully, fully grasp it until you've been brought to a position of uh, complete dependence on God. Which is why we said last week, if it hasn't happened yet, it will at some point. God, God will bring you to a place where you say, God is, I, you alone will deal with this. It's a shame because we don't want to do that. That's what God is going to ask us to do.